This is Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, featuring Father Joshua Wirth. This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, we're re-airing a program with Father Joshua Wirth on the occult. What's good? What's Evil? This program was originally aired in 2011 when Pope Emeritus Benedict was Pope Benedict. So when Father Joshua is referring to the Pope or the current Pope, he's referring to Pope Benedict and not Pope Francis. Father Joshua, it seems like it's the end thing, sometimes even the intelligent thing to do by entering into practices that may not be of God. For example, many people get caught up in Harry Potter, practicing yoga or consult horoscopes on a daily basis, or even dabble in playing the Ouija board. Are these practices dangerous? Do they open us up to evil? Thank you for that question. As we begin to answer this question, let us first turn to Scripture and see what St. Paul has to say about this um, battle with evil that we're all caught in. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 12, For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. Therefore, put on the armor of God, that you may be able to resist on the evil day, and having done everything to hold your ground. So stand fast with your loins girded in truth, clothed with righteousness as a breastplate, and your feet shod in readiness for the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, hold faith as a shield to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So as we see, St. Paul tells us in our travel of salvation, as we are making our way towards heaven, there's a contest going on where God is constantly calling us towards himself. And we struggle against that. We resist it. We fight against it. But that resistance is also being aided by the work of the devil. And the devil is real. As, as I've told told you before, if you got 100 people off the street and you said, you believe in God? Some of them say, eh, you know, I don't know. They'd have 100 different answers. But if you ask people, do you believe in evil? They'd say, oh, yes. And if you ask them, do you believe in the devil? They'd say, oh, yes, I've seen him. Not saying that they've seen him visually, but they've seen his work. They've seen his fingerprints over certain areas of their life. So who's the devil? The devil is a fallen angel. So if you believe in angels, then there's no reason that you shouldn't believe in devil and demons. They're simply fallen angels that were given a choice to serve God or to not. And the devil and his angels chose not to. Now they are totally without God and they want to hurt God, but they can't hurt God, you know, can't touch him. So what they want to do is destroy his creation. If you can't hurt somebody, what are you going to do? I'm going to burn down his house. I'm going to attack the ones that he loves. You know, it's kind of like the mafia. You know, somebody goes and witness relocation. It's just not that person that informant, it's got to be his whole family, everybody he knows. And he's got to 
several ties. Why? Because they're going to use that to get to him. The same way with us. The devil and his angels can't, and his fallen angels can't hurt God. So he wants to destroy the creation of God. He wants to destroy not only the physical world, but he especially wants to seduce us away from God and to follow him. He actually doesn't care if we follow him or not. He just wants us away from God. He counts. So if you're atheist, agnostic, I don't believe in any of this stuff. The devil is happy about that. He doesn't care. But once you're baptized and you're married or you're a priest and you're actively working against him, actively bringing people closer to God by your witness, by your example, by your teaching, then that upsets him and he wants to try to pull you away. So there's two battles going on. There's a battle we have within ourselves, that resistance that we have to God's call because of selfishness, because of our own fallenness, because of our own woundedness, we sometimes turn to selfishness. And then that is aggravated by the work of the devil and, and his demons. So now it's kind of known in the community my own personal history that that my mother left my family when I was 16 and she left Christianity and she joined the occult specifically she joined what is called neo-paganism a new paganism which is a witchcraft so she called her, calls herself a wicca she follows wicca or she calls herself and she calls herself a witch right so for a lot of time after her leaving, I was totally confused. You know, what is this thing going on? And I remember both my dad and my mom said the same thing to me. You know, not everything is black and white. And that really drove me crazy. You know, what is the truth? What is the real way to spirituality, to transcendent, you know, beyond myself? What is out there? What is the true thing out there? And so I started doing a lot of research, started, you know, I read a couple of books on Buddhism, read a couple of books on uh, different philosophies, you know, nihilism, Nietzsche kind of stuff. And also read some stuff on the occult and learned a lot more about the occult than I ever wanted to. But I was kind of driven to that because I tried to make sense of all this, right? So I remember one time I was, when I was researching something I was reading something and it struck me I had to like sit back and I actually said out loud I said out loud this devil guy he is smart because I was I can't remember what I was reading but I just remember realizing that he doesn't play fair he doesn't play by the rules he'll take whatever he can grab onto if you've been hurt, if you've been attacked, if you've been a victim of something, if you've got an addiction, if you've got a weakness, he will exploit anything that he can in order to tear you away from God. Whatever your weakness is, he will use that. And the scariest thing is, as my mother told me, and we had seen in, in some of the things when she left, she thought she was helping as St. Paul says in another place, the devil can masquerade as an angel of light. And so a lot of people get, I like to use the word seduced. A lot of people get seduced into the occult. Occult, by the way, means hidden, means secret. So often 
people that go into the cult, they say, I found something that nobody wants you to know. I found the secret way. I found the hidden way. So cult means secret. A lot of people get seduced into the occult because they think it's finally going to give them the power to help people that they always wanted. Very few people are out and out Satanists where they want to worship Satan and worship the devil and get power from him. Mostly people are seduced into thinking they are helping others. They found a way to help people that they didn't have before. And a lot of time it's a way not only to help people, they think to help people, but it's a way to to balm, to cover up, to to relieve their own pain in their own life. Finally, I've found this secret way that nobody wanted me to know that's going to get rid of the guilt in my life, get rid of pain in my life, cover up that stuff. And I just remember thinking, this guy is just brilliant. It's not about forcing people. It's not about tricking people. It's about seducing that he actually plays on whatever your fears and desires and passions and lusts are. He plays on whatever those are, and he gets you to to walk away from God and instead follow this path, right? And like I said, uh, this isn't something new. This is something old. This is this is the old paganism before Christianity, before even Judaism, uh, that tried to make sense of the world. So a lot of people are going back to that because they've, they've been unsatisfied with the answers of Christianity or they got tired of it, they got bored with it, or they just want to be different. And they want to they feel part of the elite. They want to feel part of the enlightened class that, that everybody else is in Christianity and I'm in this secret, hidden way that few know about it and few understand. And ultimately... It's a search for power, power over our our deepest fears, power to reach our deepest desires. And it's a trust that you've lost trust with God, that, that everything is in the hands of God. Instead, you're going to take all that stuff into your own hands and through these, these spells or magic or whatever, you're going to take control of your life in a way that you were prevented before by following Christ or Judaism or, or some kind of monotheistic religion. Instead, you're going to take it into your own hands now. And so you don't actively even have to believe in the devil. And a lot of, a lot of uh, people in the cult will say, I, don't even, I can't worship the devil because I don't believe in the devil. And the thing is, it's true. They don't believe in the devil. So they're not worshiping him directly. They're wor- worshiping him indirectly. And in the end, it really doesn't matter because the devil doesn't care if you follow him. He just cares that you're not following God because ultimately he has you. Because there's, if you're not going to get into heaven, you, then you belong to him. There's not going to be a separate place for pagans or for whatever. There's just going to be heaven and hell. So if you say, well, I don't want heaven. I'm going to go to my own place. The devil says, I got you. There's no other place except for here. All right. So... It's a popular thing now. It's getting a a lot of traction in TV and movies and books that people don't know exactly what it is. So think about this. What is the power of the occult? What power does 
the devil and his demons have. You know, this is often a misconception, and I want everybody to listen to me very carefully, listen to me very soberly, put on put on your, your rational thinking caps. I know that's probably an oxymoron for some people to talk about the God and the devil as rational, okay? But just put it in this kind of hierarchy is what I'm asking you to do. God is all-powerful, right? Right. Human beings are have some power but very limited right right the angels are in between there right you believe that angels are able to do things correct now they are way more powerful than human beings but they're in they're super small compared to power of god so power of god can overcome anything it's not even a competition but when we match our own power with the power of the devil he wins all right, because he is he's a fallen angel. He's way more powerful than we are. Okay. So what am I saying? I had a deacon one time say to me, you know, if he ran into somebody that was in the occult, somebody that cast magic, a, a witch or a sorcerer or something, he'd say, go ahead, cast a spell on me. I want to prove to you. I want to prove to you that you have no power over me, that I trust in God and God is going to protect me. And I had to tell that deacon, no, absolutely do not do that, okay? Because the devil loves that competition. He loves that test. Because what is that doing? That is putting God to the test, right? Specifically what Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, he said, forget it. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. We always want to create these situations where we think we have control over God's power, and we know and we guarantee and we promise and we know what's going to happen, right? So remember in the temptations, the devil said, throw yourself off of this off of this tower. And then everybody, and then the angels are going to save you. And then everybody's going to know that you're God, right? And Jesus said, haven't you read in scripture that you should not put the Lord your God to the test? So that would be testing God and we shouldn't do that. And that's how we open ourselves to the to the cult. The devil, like I said, the devil loves those competitions. He loves those power struggles. Okay. Because ultimately between power struggle between human beings and, and supernatural beings like the angels and the fallen angels, we're going to lose because we're going to run out. We're going to get tired. We're going to get hungry. We're going to get thirsty. All these things that he's not going to do. Okay. He's not going to get tired. He's not going to get hungry. He's not going to get thirsty. So instead, we always have to just turn our back to the devil and say, I'm not going to play these games with you, devil. I'm following Jesus. As Jesus said one time to a very, very shocked Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's like, listen, forget it. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to play these games. I'm not going to do these little little tests and challenges and, and bets. Instead, I'm following God and you know, forget you. That's where we get our strength. That's where we get our protection. That's where we get our our peace is by trusting in Jesus and trusting in his death was enough to bring us into uh, into heaven. So we don't need to worry about all this other stuff. But you see the occult everywhere. You see it on TV. You see it in books. You see it in movies. And what is that? That is calling on a power outside of God in order to control something. So my example that a lot of people have a problem with is Harry Potter. 
because everybody loves Harry Potter. I know everybody loves Harry Potter. Uh, my problem with that is my mother also loves Harry Potter, so I'm kind of I'm kind of once bitten twice shy, right? Uh, and she's told me, I don't know if this is true or not. She told me, oh, did you see that that uh, potion that they had the formula on on the chalkboard in the movie? That's a real formula. Or did you know that this was a real spell or this? You know, I don't know if that's true or not. Who knows? But what is and I'm not alone in this assessment. Pope Benedict, when he was cardinal, said that he was worried that Harry Potter could be subversive. Well, what does subversive mean? Subversive means that it means that the author set out to lure people into the occult. No, absolutely not. Subversive means that underneath the verses, sub means underneath, verse, the writings, underneath there's a subtext it can be easily manipulated to bring people farther away from God and bring them into the occult. Because the danger is somebody's going to read Harry Potter and say, I want to be a witch. I want to be a sorcerer. And then they go to a library, they go to Barnes and Noble, they go to a bookstore and they go to the spirituality section. If you go to the spirituality section right next to all the Christianity stuff is then the new age stuff. And then there's all the stuff about casting spells and being a witch and being a sorcerer and all this stuff. So then they can pick up that and they get seduced by the power. You know, the problem I have with Harry Potter is that ultimately it's a search for power. Now, the bad guy, I don't know too much about it, but the bad guy in the film, in the books, you know, he wants power for evil. And Harry Potter's way to oppose him is, I'm just going to learn more powerful and powerful stuff for good. So I'm going to use my power for good, right? I think that's the thing the devil loves to trick us with, that we are gaining power, more and more power, to protect our friends, to protect us. But where is that power coming from? Ultimately, it's coming from something besides the Christian God because Christ didn't seek after more and more power. He sought to be less and less and less. He sought to be a servant. And he taught us to turn the other cheek and he taught us to pray for our enemies. All these things that are very opposite than uh, learning more and powerful spells. I often get it in a conversation with uh, one of my classmates, another fellow priest, and he's read all the Harry Potter stuff and he loves Harry Potter. And and he says, and he knows that I like comic books. And he says, well, how is it different than the X-Men? And the X-Men are a bunch of mutants that all have these powers, right? And I said, well, it's like this. X-Men, these mutants, they're born with these certain abilities. He's like, and he says, yeah, just like Harry Potter. He was born with the ability to cast magic. I said, but for these mutants, it's not a fantasy. It's a curse. They look different. They act different. And they can't control. Sometimes they accidentally hurt people with it. And so they go to a school to learn how to control it. And then once they learn how to control it, there are some mutants some, uh, you know, in the X-Men universe that they use their power for evil, but the X-Men are using their power for good. But ultimately, you know what they want most of life? They want to be normal. They wish they didn't have their powers. So really X-Men and stuff, that's a story and how to, uh, when you're given, you know, as the famous line, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility that some people are given great talent, great power. Now, how do I use this for good? But I think ultimately the, 
lesson in the Harry Potter series is how can I get more power? How can I, what spell can I learn this year? How can I graduate to the next level? How can I get, you know, an even powerful spell, even more powerful word, and then use that for good? But ultimately that power, as uh, Socrates told us, absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. doesn't automatically corrupt, but when you're searching for that power, it tends to corrupt whoever's searching for it. And the devil knows that. The devil absolutely knows that. So he loves this battle of wills. He loves this. He loves to put people to the test and he loves it when people will try to try to show off and say, no, I won't fall for your schemes and I'm going to play your game. And there's old saying, if you dance with the devil, the devil don't change. He changes you. We're always trying to think that we're going to be strong enough to resist the devil, right? But uh, it's not about resisting. It's not about matching wits with him. It's about turning away from him and seeking the good, seeking Christ, and seeking less power. Because with less power, you trust more in God. We need to go to a break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about the occult with Father Joshua Wirth. Welcome back to Double-Edged Sword with Father Joshua Worth talking about the occult in our culture. Father Joshua, you've explained that practices of the occult has become so ingrained in our culture. So how do we deal with it? Like I said, it's in the movies, it's in the TV shows, um, but it's also in, in different practices that we see, you know, Ouija boards, well, what are Ouija boards? That's where you have this, and they sell this at Toys R Us. That's what's so scary. Oh my gosh, they even have a pink version for girls. Oh my gosh, parents don't absolutely do not let your kids have a Ouija board, even if you bought it from Toys R Us, even if it's pink, because this is a thing that says we're going to contact the dead, and the dead are going to answer our questions. Well, what is that? Again, that is seeking power outside of God. God, if you want to know the answers to your questions, pick up the scriptures, read that. You know, there's a lot of promises in Christ about uh, what happens after we die. There's a lot of promises in the scriptures about what happens after that. Why do we have to ask the dead about what the afterlife looks like? So what is that? That is an invitation into the devil's territory, his territory is about seeking power, about not trusting God, about seeking power. And we've walked into his territory. I think the best analogy for this is the devil is a junkyard dog and he's on a really short chain. And it's us who walk into his territory. We walk within his chain length. Okay. And then he can get a hold of us. But on the same token, we shouldn't stand out, you know, a fair distance from him and just tease him and throw rocks at him and stuff. Cause one day we might run into him unchained. You know, people always think that they can control this. No, you don't understand. I'm well versed. I hear, you know, father, I'm well versed. I know all about this. You know, I, I use, uh, yoga as another thing. 
Yoga was designed to align the chakras, which are like what the Hindus thought are, are gods inside of our body. You know, yoga, I know I'm tr- well trained in yoga and I've baptized it. I've made it Christian. And I don't use it for, for evil purposes. I use it for good purposes. And there is some truth to that. Not everything is evil because it didn't come from Christian tradition. But it's a dangerous animal. It's a dangerous animal. And as much as we might think that we've well trained this animal and we are well protected and we're well versed, you know, tell that to, uh, what's her name, Siegfried and Roy, who've been working with tigers and animals all their life. And I forget which one, but one of the tigers bit one of them and nearly killed him, drug him off stage by the neck. Or tell that to, uh, you know, God bless him. May he rest in peace, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Spent his whole life around animals, was well-versed in them, knew knew their dangers, knew their limitations, and, you know, was always aware. And then he gets killed by a stingray, of all things. All right? Just a, just a chance luck thing. You know, just bad luck. But this is what we do when we take these different things... Ouija boards, tarot cards, yoga, Reiki. And when we take these things that have no history in Christian tradition and we try to baptize it ourselves and we try to Christianize it ourselves and say, okay, now it's safe. I'm going to use it for good. It's a, it's a method. It's a tool that I can use in order to get closer to God. Oh, man, I don't know what to say to that, except that the devil loves that challenge because he's going to try to use that that thing that has no no place in Christian history. And he's going to try to pull use that to pull you away. And, you know, you might go your whole life and that doesn't happen or suddenly, you know, just like a snap of your fingers, like an animal that just turned on you, you know, you're stuck. You're, he seduced you. You you walked in. You walked into his junkyard, and you're now within his reach. So, the big things are Ouija boards, tarot cards. Those are the cards that got like the death uh, death card and the king card, and you can tell somebody's fortune from from how these cards. I know right before my mom left, it was funny. I think it was the night before. She was doing these tarot cards on the internet. Like you would get every every day you would click for a card and that would tell you what your next day is going to be like or something. So, and I'm pretty sure, I'm having trouble remembering now, but I'm pretty sure it was a night before she asked me to do this thing online and I did it and I just clicked this thing once for my next day reading and it was the death card, right? <laughs> And so how apropos was that, that the next day she left and it was like a death in the family, but worse, it was like a, it was the greatest betrayal, you know, that somebody could ever face. So this is the scary thing is that, and I'll probably talk about this sometime later about the devil, you know, how the devil is a liar, but he mixes in a little bit of the truth. So he used that. And I could have gone from there and said, wow, this thing really tells me the truth. It knew that what I was going to be facing next day. So therefore, I'm going to use it more and more and more. Absolutely not. Never touch that stuff again. Tell everybody I know to get rid of that stuff. 
because he's going to seduce you into thinking that you're going to be able to control the future with that stuff, that you're going to have, you're going to have power over the future with that stuff. So Ouija board, tarot cards, um, Reiki. Reiki is like this massage uh, thing that comes from the East, I believe. But again, it has no no connection to Christian history. And uh, and here's a, here's a, the seduction again. People tell me, but it helps people. You know, it helps them all. Well, it may help, but it may also be a temporary help which leads you to a greater disaster. Does that make sense? It could be that that little bit of sugar in the vial of poison. So just just enough to get you to, to swallow the whole thing. Okay. So um, and the bishops have come out against Reiki and saying, "Listen, we don't know if it's good or bad. We just know it has no. It does not draw upon Jesus for its power, and um, so we trust in Jesus." So we, we trust in the sacraments and sacramentals, and, and we're going to do it this way, okay? And we're not going to use Reiki. So Reiki, uh, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and anything, of course, that has spells or magic. Not magic like in illusions, like David Copperfield, but magic as in I'm going to get these different ingredients, and that ingredient is going to cause this potion or cause this spell. I'm going to have power over something. Okay, all that stuff is the call. All that stuff is a great seduction. And once you get seduced, it's so hard to get back out. So, what is the answer to this stuff? Well, strangely enough, the answer to all this actually comes from you know this new paganism. A lot of it comes from what we have forgotten about our Catholic faith. Let me start here. Everything was created good. In Genesis, then after fall, everything is wounded. Then Jesus redeemed us. Now the ministers of Jesus, his priests, can reach down into the fallen world and redeem certain objects of the material world. So a priest can reach down to this water and make it holy. A priest can reach down, and a uh, deacon as well, reach down to this salt and make it holy salt. Uh, and we call these sacramentals. It's where we consecrate something and we change its purpose and we heal it in a way, even though it's not a person, it's not a thing. We talk to it almost as if it is a thing and say, we're bringing you into the redeemed, into the consecrated, into the, into the world. All right. And then we put a prayer on that object. So we put a prayer, say, on, like on holy water, on salt, on blessed salt, or on rosary, or on a crucifix, or on a holy card. And we give that out to people, or we, we put that holy water in different places. And wherever that thing goes, that object goes, that prayer goes with it. So you see a holy card, and you might not even know the prayer that was said over the holy card. But God knows. So you say you see the holy card. That holy card reminds you of the power of God, and and you are brought closer to God because of that. Holy water is sprinkled somewhere. You don't see that prayer. You might not even know which prayer was said over it, but that prayer now rests in that place, and God sees that prayer. So really, when we're sprinkling holy water everywhere, we're sprinkling that prayer everywhere around us, and we're surrounding us with that prayer, the prayer of that holy water. And it's a reminder of us of God's power that he has the power to redeem everything. 
He redeems our souls. He redeems our bodies. And through the through his ministers, they can reach out and redeem objects. Okay, so that's our sacramental life. And in a lot of ways, we've we've forgotten this sacramental life. Um, I know I haven't been trained in it very well. The little bit that I have is is from old textbooks from from pre-Vatican II, and we've kind of put away we kind of put away that stuff. We after Vatican II and said, oh, it's because we got it mixed up with some superstitions. For instance, this is a superstition which really aggravates me, where a good Catholic, a good well-meaning Catholic will take a statue of St. Joseph when they want to sell their house and take a statue of St. Joseph, bury it in their yard upside down, and then supposedly that's supposed to make their house sell. No, that is a superstition, right? That is voodoo, really. That's where it has its origins from. Voodoo says, you know, like a voodoo doll. A voodoo doll says, whatever I do to, to this doll I'm, do, I'm doing to you. Well, in that superstition, it's kind of like saying, whatever I'm doing to this statue of St. Joseph, I'm doing to St. Joseph in heaven. So St. Joseph, if you don't want me to do this to you, you better sell my house. You know, it's kind of like holding the saint hostage or something or else another one i've heard of is back pre-vatican II, when people if they lost something they would not only would they say a prayer to saint anthony which is good but then they'd take their saint anthony statue in their room and they'd face it against a wall until they found that object as if to say to saint anthony hey your your body your soul is stuck in this in this statue and I'm going to make you stare at the wall until you give me what I want. I'm going to hold you hostage again. No, that's voodoo. That's superstition. We wanted to get rid of that after Vatican II, all that superstitious nonsense. But the problem is it had been so tied up with sacramental life that we just said, you know what? It's just better to get rid of it all together. So we got rid of a lot of sacramental stuff too. I mean, you look at the old book of blessings, there's a blessing for everything for clothes, for cars, for for houses, I mean, and these powerful, powerful prayers and which the Pope has kind of um, brought back with, the, with his latest teachings on the, on the extra, extraordinary form of the Mass. Since he brought that form back, he also brought, brought back all the old prayers from the old Book of Blessings. So um, priests can now say those again. And we lost all that stuff. You know, you don't hear many people talk about, oh, I need to go get some holy water, or I need to go get some blessed salt, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. We kind of forgot about that stuff. But you know who brought it back? It's scary. The pagans did. They love that principle, all right, that if you say a prayer over something, then wherever that thing goes, that prayer goes with it. So they, instead of praying over stuff, they curse objects, they curse objects, and then wherever that object goes, that curse goes with it. So, you know, a couple of things I've heard of from my mother, and this is interesting too, this is an interesting principle, is that uh, she would get holy water from one of the Indian missions in California, and she would use that in her rituals. She, so she'd go to a Catholic church and get holy water and use it in her rituals. Why? Because... Uh, the devil, the occult, doesn't have any power to create anything. It only has the power to corrupt. Okay, so it takes what is good 
and it perverts it into some mockery, some mirror image, not mirror image, opposite image of the beauty of God. So she would take holy water from a church and she was using it in her spells and her rituals. She would take this wine that came from a monastery. So the wine was blessed. You know, they, they blessed their, their business and they took that wine and they used that in their rituals. And, um, I even know one time they, um, when I say they, I mean her and her partner, one time they, I think one of my sister's boyfriend's had treated her wrong or something. So they took uh, an egg and they placed it in a in a jar of their own urine and they put that in some kind of like special vortex place or something. That was supposed to and that was supposed to bind him and make sure he doesn't do anything to my sister or anything like that. So what they would consider for the good, they're doing for a good but it's actually a curse. So it's scary that they know more about the way uh, sacramentals work than we do. We have forgotten about it. We have, and that reading from scripture, that is a sacramental reading. When St. Paul says, put on the armor of God, it's talking about physical stuff and gird, gird your loins in a, in a right, in a righteousness as a breastplate and shod your feet with the gospel peace. So surround yourself with these prayers Surround yourself with these prayers, and that will protect you against against this battle. Not only protect you, but push you forward into this battle. But um, we've kind of given up all those prayers. And we we don't use holy water as much as we used to. We don't use blessed salt as much as we used to. And we don't use the different prayers over the rosaries and crucifixes and stuff as we used to. Because we don't understand that because everything was given to us, humanity, um, given to humanity for our service, that when we fell away from God, it too fell away. So now that we have been redeemed, we can now reach down through the ordained ministers, we can now reach down and redeem objects for God's purposes again, all right, to serve man, to bring them closer to God. So that way we can we can bless our work. We can bless our houses. We can bless our cars and all those things. We redeem it in a way and we bring those so that they're no longer an obstacle. They're no longer have a fallen nature, but they now they're now have a redeemed nature. And those objects now help us remind us of the goodness of God and bring us closer to him. And the opposite would be what the cult do. Cult practitioners do is they use the fallen objects of this world to curse people and to get power. And sometimes they think they're doing good with it. That's the scary thing. They think they're helping people, but ultimately they're placing things not in trust of God, not in trust of, of Jesus, but they're putting stuff in the trust of themselves, their own self-worship, which is ultimately pride, which is the chief sin, the chief reason that, that the devil fell. And I can talk about the, the devil at another time. But this is the, the danger that we fall into, that we have forgotten that we are a carnal people. What does carnal mean? It's, carnal gets a bad rap too. Carnal, we usually think, is lustful, bodily stuff. And there's also a lot of talk in the Bible about the flesh. 
I'm not saying we should be people of the flesh, but we have to be people that realize that we live in a body. We are not just a spirit. We are a body with a spirit, body and soul. And because of that, we work through carnal means. Carnal, like carnivore, means meat. We, we work through our meaty hands, right, and our meaty eyes. For instance, one of the great objects in, in the gospel that really perplexes people is the story of, of Jesus healing this blind man, and he spits on the ground, and he makes some mud, and he puts that mud on the guy's eyes. Now, why did he do that? God doesn't need to use mud in order to, to heal somebody. He could just snap his fingers. He can just say, and he did that in, in some cases. He just said, listen, you're healed. Get up. But why did he do it for this guy? He used mud and his own spit because the guy needed it. The guy needed it as a reminder of God's goodness. The guy needed it as a reminder of God's power. So he spit on the guy's, uh, he spit on the ground, made some mud, and he put the mud on the guy's eyes, and the guy opened his eyes, and it didn't even work the first time. So then he did it again, and he opened up his eyes again, and now he saw perfectly. So this is Jesus telling us that sometimes we need to use carnal things, bodily things, material things, in order to remind ourselves of God's goodness, remind ourselves of his power. I'm not saying that if that we can, that some people are elite and they've transcended that and they don't have to use carnal things. I'm saying we, this is the way we were designed and made. And this is the way God has set it forth. Jesus himself set it forth. He used body and the soul to make his power known in the world, to remind people of God's goodness, to make people realize that they are under the power of a God that transcends their power and so that they should trust in him. So everybody listening to my words today should realize that they have nothing to fear from the devil if they fear God. What do I mean by that? I mean, that means turn away from your fears of this world. Turn away from your fears of the power of the devil. Turn your back towards all that stuff. Say, get behind me, Satan. Instead, turn to God and say, God, what do you want me to equip my life with? What do you want me to arm my life with? And he says, he tells us through the scriptures and through the church, the sacraments. Arm your life with the sacraments. Armor yourself with the sacraments. And also the sacramentals. That all of these show the power of God in our life. And that we should turn to him and trust in him. Know that he is the Lord of Lords. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And that we should not trust in any other power, any other control, and should not seek after anything besides Christ and how to conform our life to his. And I want to remind everybody to pray for their priests and to support the faith wherever you find it. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture with Father Joshua Wirth. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the Double-Edged Sword icon, and the comment button is in the middle of the page. Also, if you can help keep Double-Edged Sword on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. You're listening to the Network of Stations of Divine Mercy. Radio. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.